when Jeff asked me to, to preach this morning, I don't know why, but the book of, as I called it, Philemon, came into my heart. And when I said Jeff about Philemon, he gave me a sideways glance. Do not mean Philemon. I said, okay, Philemon. We'll go with Philemon. I don't know half these words, but we'll go with Philemon. And I don't know why, but as I read it, I think I've got a feeling why, why we're going to do this this morning. It's the, the shortest epistle or letter of Paul's in the Bible. It's towards the end of the Bible. It's between Hebrews and Titus. It's the only letter that Paul writes that has no mention of the cross or of the death of Christ or of the resurrection. And you might start to think, well, why, why is it in there? But it displays the gospel. It displays the gospel. It shows the gospel in action rather than spell it out, as hopefully we will see later on. On the surface, this letter deals with a runaway slave called Onesimus and his return to his owner and master called Philemon, as well as Paul's role in the mediation. This is really what this letter is about, hence the letter called Philemon. Paul is writing to Philemon to say, I've got this runaway slave of yours called Onesimus and this is what we should do about it. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, like I said, it's between Titus and Hebrews at, towards the back uh, of the New Testament. I'm going to start at verse 4. All of Paul's letters begin with a, a greeting and they end with a final greeting. And they're not that, that relevant to what I want to say today. So I'm starting at verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is, it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me, so that he could have taken your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor that you do would not be seen as forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. So this letter is ostensibly about three people. Onesimus, Paul, and Philemon. As I called them as I was reading this, onesie, Paul, and Phil, because it was easier than wrestle with the names. 
But it's worth looking at each person and where they fit into this letter before we, we dig into the letter uh, properly. So if you look at Onesimus, Onesimus is a slave. He is a bondsman uh, owned by Philemon. Now, slave in the first century Roman Empire had many different connotations. It could have meant many different things. One of the things that we believe that applied to uh, Onesimus is that he was an urban slave, a house slave, um, or a servant. In Hebrew culture, a lot of the time, if someone was in debt, they would give themselves to someone. They would say, oh, I owe you this money. I will come and work for you for free, and I will have to work until that debt is paid off. And that is what we believe happened to Onesimus. And so he's in this house, and, and he's working for Philemon. He's going to be quite up close, quite personal with the family. He's, he's in their, their house. Now, this Philemon, this house that Onesimus was in, was owned by a gracious and a fair master. Now, I know today we think, how can you have a gracious and a fair master that owns a slave? The two don't add up, and you're right. But in this context, that time ago, Philemon was a church leader. This servants in your house was part of the culture. Similar to us driving a car today, and I'm not trying to equate people and cars, but it was part of culture. It was just accepted. We know that it's not now. But then it was. And Paul's description of Philemon tells us this, that he was a church leader. He loved the Lord's people, that he was trying to advance the gospel. So we can, we can assume that the household that Anismus in was fairly decent considering the conditions that he was under. But either way, Anismus runs away. And we think that he stole something because Paul says, if anything has cost you, Philemon, I'll pay you back. Whatever it is, tell me, and I will pay it to you. So he may have stolen something. He may have fallen out with someone in the family. Or he may have just wanted his freedom. I may have thought, I've had enough of this. I'm off. Anisimus runs to Rome. Some scholars say they think it might be Ephesus, but we'll, we'll go with Rome. Anisimus runs to Rome, to a big city to get lost, like most runaway slaves. I don't want to be found. So this is Anisimus, and this is what he has done. Then we come to Paul. Paul's the most influential apostle, evangelist, church leader, and follower of Jesus. And he's now in chains in Rome for his faith. He's now under house arrest. There he wastes no time in continuing the work of God, writing letters to the churches, encouraging them, the ones that he's founded, the one that he has planted. And he's also telling anyone that will listen the good news of Christ. In other letters, he talks of the guards within the home that he is under house arrest are coming to Christ because he's telling them about Jesus. He can't stop. This is Paul. Anisimus becomes a follower of Jesus under Paul's care. We don't know how that happened. We don't know how he was introduced to Paul. Maybe somebody recognized him and led him to Paul. It could be, have been that he heard Philemon, his master, talking about the teachings of Paul. Paul that planted the very church that they were part of. We're not sure, but either way, Onesimus comes to the attention of Paul. Then he becomes a follower of Jesus under Paul's care and teaching. And Paul becomes aware of Onesimus' past. Paul clearly knows Philemon because he's the leader of the church that he set up in Colossae. And the situation between the runaway slave and the master becomes clear to Paul. And Paul starts to think, this is tricky. <laughs> this is really tricky. What am I going to do? Why is that? Well, Onesimus has just become a brother in Christ. He'd just given his life to the Lord. But the law, which they were living under, dictated that the slave should be returned to their master. So Paul said, what? do I do here this I am in a real pickle you see slaves had to be returned to their master that was the law under Roman law 
And that there's a, a pastoral note here. You know, we have to face up to life circumstances, don't we? We can't hide. We can't run. We can't squirrel what we've done away. We can't just pretend it never happened. We have to face up to life circumstances sometimes. We have to face up to the mess that we make. Now, I was thinking like this. If, if I was, hypothetically speaking, if I was to drive down the A38 or the M5 and got caught on a speed camera, not that that's ever happened, but if it did... I could maybe come home and I could call my friend John who's got a, uh, a yard and he's got a barn and I could tuck my car away under there so it would never be seen and I could disappear and see my parents in Cyprus for a few weeks and just, just wait for it to blow over and nobody would know. But it's always going to be waiting for me. I can't get away from it. I can't run away from it. And we have a pastoral duty to face up to our circumstances, to face up to what happens in life. We can't just hide it. We can't pretend it never happened. What we do promise is that we will walk with people through it. So Paul is thinking, this has happened. We can't run away from it. There's a runaway slave here, and I love him. He's my brother, but I also know that this is not right. The law says he needs to be returned. So I need to help him in this. I need to walk him through this. What am I going to do? You know, the penalty for runaway slaves was severe. At least beating, maybe branding, even death. One of the biggest fears in the Roman Empire was an, an uprising of slaves. They were worried that they would overthrow the empire. At one point, they looked at making slaves all wear the same color or the same tunic so they could be identified. And then they realized there were so many of them that they may realize they could overthrow the Roman Empire if they chose to. Such was the fear of slaves and their condition in the Roman Empire. So Paul resolves to write a letter to Philemon to try and reconcile Anesimus and Philemon. He said, we need to kind of... We need to do the right thing, but we need to recognize what's happened here, that, that he's one of us, that he is a brother. Philemon, for his part, is a well-off head of a family and a church leader, as we've said, and he's in Ephesus. Um, and he's no doubt got several servants working for him, but Anesimus has run away. Now, Philemon, despite being lauded uh, by Paul for his good work for the kingdom of God, he's no doubt distressed. He's no doubt worried maybe angry about Onesimus' disappearance. See, not only is he angry at Onesimus for his running away, but he's also likely worried, as we've just heard, about the Roman authorities and what they will say about a runaway slave. It's not just the fact Onesimus has run, the spotlight is now on Philemon. What are you going to do? Are you actually in control of your, your slaves, your servants? Can we trust you with them? See, in accordance with the law, the owner of a runaway slave will be expected to exact appropriate punishment as a deterrent, an example to all the other servants and slaves. So this is Philemon. We don't know much about him. This is where his part kind of ends, as he is the, the master uh, that has lost this slave. So let's go back to Onesimus. Having run away, Onesimus wants to be lost. He's in a big city. Like we said, he's gone to Rome. There would have been about estimates about 800, 900,000 people in Rome. It's still a pretty big city, even in ancient times. But there was no GPS, there was no Find My iPhone, no Live360, no Snap Maps, no My Three Words, nothing that was going to find Anisimus. So he thought, he thought he could get away. He thought that he would be able to sneak into Rome and get away. But he didn't count on God. He did not count on God. By divine providence, by the hand of God, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Anisimus ends up in front of Paul. Again, we don't know how, but this was all part of the plan. Anesimus may have been desperate. He may have been lost. He may have had no friends. Who wants to help a runaway slave? I'm going to get in trouble with the law. I'm going to get in trouble with the authority. So 
His hope of getting help from someone was pretty slim. His predicament reminds me of the prodigal son, the one that ran away thinking that the grass was greener. They're thinking they get away from all this because it's so much better out there. I can do it on my own. I can make it on my own. But here we see Onesimus in the same place, not really having anyone to turn to, no one will help him, nowhere to go. And this is where I think he likely ends up before Paul. See, the prodigal son ran away and got to the very bottom, got to the very end of himself. But when he returned, the father had wide arms, loving arms, waiting for him to return. He couldn't wait for him to return. God wants Onesimus. God wants him. God is, is not the will of God for anybody to perish, and he's chasing down Onesimus. So Onesimus finds himself in front of Paul, and we've already heard with Paul, he never stops talking about Jesus, and eventually Onesimus becomes a follower of Christ. In the letter, Paul says to Philemon, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Paul said, I think this is part of the plan, Philemon. Him running away has resulted in him finding Jesus. He's now one of us. I think this is part of the plan. Look at this. This is God's handiwork. No longer a slave but a brother. What wonderful news. I wonder this morning, if you're running from God, perhaps you're running from someone, perhaps you're running from a set of circumstances, perhaps you're running from a relationship, perhaps you're running from your own reputation but a lot of us end up running from God whenever we do something wrong whenever we trip up whenever we do something we know is not right we kind of just take a step away from God until we remember we can come back into his loving arms we're all running from God I wonder if you're running from God this morning see even if we know God as I said we can sometimes be walking in the wrong direction away from God Anesimus was in the best bad place he could be. He was a servant in someone else's home, paying off her debt. It was not a good place, but it was probably the best place he could be under Philemon, and yet he still ran away. I wonder sometimes if we are in the best place. With God as our Father, He has saved us, He's redeemed us, His Holy Spirit lives within us, and it's great. But are we still tempted to walk away? Do we still find ourselves sometimes drifting away? Anesimus thought he had to run. Are you running from something this morning? You know, Paul said himself in Romans 7, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now even, sorry, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I want to say to this one, one thing is for sure, is that you cannot outrun God. Anesimus tried, and Jesus found him. Billions over the centuries have tried to run from God and failed to outrun God's grace. Maybe it's time to stop running this morning and to embrace him, to let him throw his loving arms around you. We will give you an opportunity to do that later. So Paul, what does he do? He finds himself in a real quandary. He's got this newfound brother that he loves that's so helpful to him but he's also got the law breathing down his neck he knows he has to do the right thing by the law otherwise it's not going to end well for anybody so he uses a masterful letter his brilliant writing and he uses the gospel to convince Philemon of what must happen of the right thing to do here I want to start again in verse 
4. I'm going to look through this letter and the way that Paul speaks to Philemon. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's reminding Philemon that he's a good man. He's a God man. He is a man of God and he's doing what God has called him to do. Your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're doing great, Philemon, and that's why I love you. And he says, I pray that our partnership with us, your partnership with us in faith. That word partnership comes from the Greek koinonia, which means to receive and to share. Partnership at, at this time of history was a really deep thing. It wasn't just, oh, we're partners. It was, it was like they were bonded. They were brothers. You could not get away from it. We are the koinonia. We have received the gospel and we share it with one another and we share it with others. We have a tight bond. And this is what Paul is reminding Philemon of. He goes on to say, uh, your faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ or good thing we share in Christ. He's reminding him of his faith. He's reminding him of the journey that he's been on. He's reminding him of the type of man that he is. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. You're my brother. What Paul is doing here is putting an arm around Philemon from a distance and saying, you're my brother, remember? You're my brother. We are partners in the gospel. We're in this together. You're a man of God. I'm a man of God. We're loving God and we're loving the people. We're doing this together. He's reminding him of who he is. Then he goes on. Therefore, so in light of what I've just said, you're a great man of God. You're doing a wonderful job for Christ. You're loving the people. I love you. You're my brother. Therefore, in light of that, I could, because I'm an apostle, we're in this together, but I'm an apostle, I could order you to do what I want you to do, but I'm not going to order you to do what you ought to do. I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Paul said, I think you really know what you need to do, and I'm going to tell you, but I'm, I'm compelling you. I'm appealing to you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not commanding you what to do. Heart to heart, I am asking you to do this. He goes on. It is as none other than I, Paul, an old man, and I also a prisoner of Jesus. Paul is saying, I'm old, and I'm in jail. I want you to, to do something for me. Will you please do something for me? But then he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's using this word. Who's run away? Anesimus. He's going to be talking about Anesimus. He's not mentioned him yet, but he's already laying the ground saying, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. I'm in chains for Christ right now. And then here comes the hammer blow. At this point, Philemon's reading this letter, but he's not heard the name Onesimus yet. Then Paul says, I appeal to you, this heartfelt cry, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Can you imagine just for a moment what Philemon must have been thinking as he reads this? It's the first time he's heard this word. So you've got my runaway slave with you and you're calling him my son. What Madassa felt like for Philemon? Do you think he was particularly happy reading that name and that situation? I'm not so sure. Paul says, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. And the very next phrase, who became my son. He's really hammering this home. He's now my son. He's come to Christ under my teaching. I've led him to the Lord. He's my son. He's your brother. While I was in chains, again, Paul says. Again, he's talking about, look, I'm in chains. I'm struggling. Onesimus was in chains. Onesimus was a servant. I'm a servant. He's trying to use all these metaphors to get Philemon to think about this situation. He says, formerly 
he was useless to you. Onesimus was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. He now has purpose. He's come to Christ. There's purpose in this man's life. He goes on, he says, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man, as a brother in the Lord. So Paul has, has put his arm around Philemon and said, you're my brother. Remember, in the gospel, you're my brother. And now at the same time, he's putting his arm around Onesimus and saying, he's my brother too, he's my son, and he's my brother. He's my brother, you're my brother. Guess what? That makes you brothers. You are brothers. He put such an emphasis on the chains of status and Onesimus. Once someone who was once slave to sin and who is now a slave to Christ. He was once lost in his sin and he's now been found in Christ. And that changes everything. And this is why Paul is writing this way to Philemon. What has happened to Onesimus, Paul is saying, is what happened to you and me, Philemon. What's happened to Onesimus is exactly the same as what happened to us. And Philemon wouldn't have been unaware of these words of Paul's in another letter. I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, we've been there, Philemon. We've been there. You were a sinner. I was a sinner. We didn't know Christ, but now we do. We were slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to Christ. We were lost in sin, and now we are found in Christ. Think about that, Philemon. And then the crux of this letter. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Father, if they owe you anything, charge it to me. Their guilt, their shame, their pain, their sin, charge it to me. Charge it to my account. I'll pay. I love them that much. I'll do it. I'll pay. God says, but you're going to have to die, son. You're going to have to die to pay for that. Do you know what you're asking? I love them. I love them. Charge it to my account. But you're going to have to climb up on that cross and die for them. Charge it to my account. I will do it. What Paul is doing here is reminding Philemon of what Jesus did for him, of what Jesus did for Paul, of what Jesus did for you and me. It wasn't his fault. He committed no crime, but he said, charge it to my account. I'll pay for it, even unto death. I will pay for what he has done wrong. I, Paul, I'm writing this with my own hand. He's convincing Philemon, and what I'm saying is true here. I will pay it back. That is the gospel right there. Jesus paying for the sins of those who don't deserve it. His grace poured out on us. Those of us who don't deserve it, he paid for us. And Paul is saying he would do the same here for Onesimus. I do wish, brother, Paul goes on, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Do something that, that lifts my faith in Christ. Do something that Christ would have you do. Do something Christ-like. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing you will do even more than I ask. Even more than. What could be even more than? What could be even more than dying 
for someone on a cross? What could be even more than saying, no, charge me. It's not my fault, but charge me. What could be more than? There's a wonderful scene in Les Miserables. If you've seen the musical or if you've perhaps seen the movie, Jean Valjean, the former convict, is kind of trying to find his way in life, much like Anisimus, no one will help him. He's a, Anisimus was a former slave. Jean Valjean is a former convict, and, he, and he's just running from village to village, trying to find someone that will give him a job, someone that will just accept him for who he is, and no one will help him. And he stumbles, well, not stumbles, but he sees in the distance this church. And he makes his way to the church, and when he gets inside, all bedraggled, his hair everywhere, stinking, wondering if anybody's going to help him. And the priest welcomes him in, brings him in through the door. He feeds him, gives him a bed, gives him a fire, treats him with dignity, treats him with respect. And Jean Valjean is completely lost. You see the scene where he lies in bed and he's just wondering himself, what on earth is going on? I've gone from being the most hated man on earth, it seems, to now being loved and cared for and being given food and a bed. I, I just can't believe this. But then as Paul said earlier, I do what I do not want to do. From the sin within me, I do what I do not want to do. And Jean Valjean is compelled to take the silver that he sees in the church. And he goes and takes it. He grabs it and he runs away into the night. And the next day, the authorities find him. They catch him and they bring him back. And they throw him down on the floor in front of the priest. And they, they give him a good beating for his trouble. And said, this man says that you gave him this silver. And the priest, using his words very carefully, said, the silver is his. The silver is his. And what's more, he forgot the best. He forgot these candlesticks. There's more. Probably the only thing we've got left now. But you can have those too. You forgot the best. You forgot there's more. He says, go and take this silver and go and be a good man. It's the same with God. There's always more. There's always more. Salvation is just the beginning. Being saved is just the beginning. God has so much more for us. He had a plan for Onesimus. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. It's not just the silver he wants to give. He wants to give you the candlesticks as well. There is so much more in this life than what we see. There is more than salvation. There is more to come. But what was the more for Philemon? Philemon was going to have to forgive Onesimus. If this was going to work, Philemon was going to have to forgive Onesimus. Paul knew there would be a cost to Philemon. But as D.L. Moody says, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. The voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. Forgiveness brings true freedom. Could you come up and help me a minute? Forgiveness brings true freedom. For any of these people to be free, for Amnesimus to be free of his life, for Philemon to be free from his bitterness, from this newfound bitterness and maybe even hatred for Amnesimus, he's going to have to forgive him. He's going to have to set him free. The crazy thing about forgiveness is we always think, I don't want to forgive them. Because we think forgiveness is about them. Forgiveness is not about them. Forgiveness is about you and it's about me. See, if I, if I hold something against someone, and I've never held anything against my life ever, my wife even, if you hold something against someone, I am holding something against Kate now. Now, we can go through life. She walks around. She hasn't got a clue what's going on. She hasn't got a clue. She just carries on with life, 
living life perfectly normally. She has no clue how upset I am, how bitter I am. But everywhere she goes, I go. Everything she does, I go with her. Every time she speaks, it affects me. But when I forgive her, and I don't hold anything against her anymore, I'm free. I am free. It made no difference to her. Onesimus has just done what he's done. He's run away. He's not really thought about Philemon at all. Philemon is left angry. He's left upset. He's left worried. But the only way he's going to get free is to forgive Onesimus. Thank you, darling. The only way you get free is to forgive. And this is the more of the gospel. Jesus saves us, but at the same time he saves us, he forgives our sins. He gives us his gift of grace. He pours out grace upon us, gives us eternal life, but he forgives our sins. This is the gospel. Grace, forgiveness. We are called to do the same. At the very beginning, when I talked about Father's Day, and God said to me, I'm calling you to do the same. What I have given you, I want you to do the same. What he has given you, what he has given me, this gospel, he wants us to do the same. He wants us to show grace to people. He wants us to forgive people. He wants us to give grace to them and forgiveness so that we are free. This is the currency of Christianity. If you want to know what the currency of Christianity is, what we, what we deal in is mercy and grace and forgiveness. It's what makes the Christian world go round. And it's what makes a change in the world. The gospel brings about change. It doesn't just bring about change in individual lives, in the lives of you and me and those that know Christ. This started a change in Roman slavery. This is the power of the gospel. At that time, slavery was normal. It was accepted. Servants everywhere. Paul is saying, this isn't right. They knew it wasn't right. This cannot be right. And we've just got this brother that's become a brother. This slave that's become a brother. He's one of us. You know, the gospel smashes power structures. The gospel smashes master and slave. The gospel smashes any power that man thinks he may have. The gospel trumps it all. And so we can see here, Paul is starting to set in motion through Philemon. He's going to be forgiven. We know he does. I'll come to that later. He forgives Onesimus. He forgives him. That what on earth is everybody around him thinking? What about all the other slave owners? What about all the, the, the big owners of these households that are, that are looking on as Onesimus comes back and Philemon puts his arms around him and forgives him and tells him, I'm glad to have you home, brother. What does that do to people as they look on? But what does it do in our lives when people upset us? When people make us upset? When people make us angry? And rightly so. And you're justified in that. But what does it do to the world when we say, you know what, I'm going to show them grace anyway. And you know what, I'm going to forgive them anyway. Because I get free, but they get grace. That is the gospel. It's win-win for anybody that's involved, anybody that's told. It is a win-win. So where is the gospel in this story of Philemon? We've got a runaway rebel. If you've never thought about it, that's you and me. We are runaway rebels. If you weren't running from God before... You might be running this morning. And if you know God now, you know that you were running before. We are runaway rebels. Anisimus was a runaway rebel. We've got a restoring redeemer. Paul almost takes the place of Jesus in this story. As he says, we've got this runaway slave, but I need to get him back to his master. But the gospel is telling us as runaway slaves and anybody that will listen that we are runaway slaves. We're rebelling against God. But Jesus wants to get us back to the Father. 
This is the gospel. Everybody is in rebellion. The world is in rebellion. And Jesus wants to get everybody back to the Father. It is the Father's will that none should perish. The gospel is for everyone. We have this righteous ruler in Philemon as God the Father. There is a righteous nature nature about God. He cannot accept sin. The penalty for sin is death. But we know what happened. Jesus steps in and says, I'll pay. I'll pay. This is the beauty of the gospel. It costs us nothing and gives us everything. Why would we not give this away? Why would we not get excited about this? Why would we not want to use this as the agents of change in the world that we are in? We look at the news and we look at the terror. We look at the news and we look at the hunger. We look at the news and we, we look at people being trafficked. We look at people, modern slavery. There's more people in slavery today than there ever were in Paul's time. What are we going to do about it? We can sit here and we can twiddle our thumbs. We can sign a petition. We can go on a march. Or I tell you what, we can tell people the gospel. We could use the most effective agent of change there has ever been to change this world. When the righteous ruler accepts payment and forgives, the runaway rebel goes free. Who pays? Jesus pays. So what does it mean to you this morning? What do you need this morning? You know, people say, the question is, why do you preach the gospel in church? Why do you do it? I mean, in church, why preach the gospel? Well, Simon Ponsonby, theologian, says, well, you can only be sure that there's 50% of people in your congregation that are really saved. Spurgeon said, I believe that if I should preach to you the gospel of our Lord Jesus and nothing else twice every weekend, my ministry would not be unprofitable. Those who have never heard it need to hear it. And those who have received it need to be reminded of the gospel and the goodness of God. I just asked Andy and the team, can you uh, come and join me? I just, for a moment, I just want to get excited about the gospel. Is that okay? Do you feel like getting excited about the gospel? Are we all taking it for granted? I just want to sing this song. It's been on my mind all week and I've not been able to shake it. And we're going to sing it together now. So let's, let's get on our feet. I just want you to think, as we sing this song, what God has done for you. And what it might look like for you to tell others. You know that old adage, if you won the lottery, who would you tell? I don't know about you, I'd be telling everybody. I'd be telling everybody. What amazing news. But the best news is, Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit, and you and I are going to live with him forever. If you've given your life to him. There is no better news than that. I've got nothing better to tell you. If I ever stand up here again, I've got nothing better to tell you than this. It doesn't get any better than this. Jesus loves you. He has saved you. And he wants you to help him save everybody else. It is the agent of change for this world. And it's the only thing that's going to make a difference. So let's get excited about it. It might just be me, but I want you to come with me. So let's get excited.